0: In these uncertain times, The Registry continues to bring its grounded and informed news coverage of everything real estate. We are able to deliver the reliable news you trust because of generous readers who support our work. Thank you to your commitment to journalism, especially now. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you can join us at TheRegistryPS.com. Susan Boyd is the CEO of Bellwether Housing in Seattle. She was elected to her role in February of 2017 after 28 years of experience in direct social service policy analysis, advocacy in law, and as a respected voice in regional housing issues. Prior to her current role, Boyd had served as Bellwether's Director of Real Estate Development, leading housing development strategy and tripling the number of units the organization had in production. Before Bellwether, Boyd was a partner in the law firm of Cantor, Taylor, Nelson, Boyd, and Evett, representing tax-exempt nonprofits, for-profits, and public agencies throughout the West Coast in all aspects of the development and financing of affordable housing and community facilities. Hi, Susan. How are you?
1: Hello, Vlad. I'm good. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Where does uh, this podcast find you?
1: Well, I am... I'm actually in my office today. I needed to come here because um, we're getting ready for a closing of the biggest, by far, deal we have ever closed. Notwithstanding everything else that's going on, we are managing to uh, close and start construction, we hope, Monday on a 255-unit project. Uh, transit oriented development um, in collaboration with our transit agency and many other public partners. Uh, anyway, so I have lots of paperwork running through my uh, computer and my desk that I needed to be here for. So,
0: I bet. Um, is the rest of the office there? Or are you sort of one of the few that's kind of sneaking in because you have to?
1: No, I am uh, the only sort of administrative type uh, person who is here uh, we do have all our maintenance. We have a maintenance office here, and so I, I get to see my maintenance staff when I'm when I'm come into the office. They, of course, have been working uh, on site all through the pandemic, yep. as have our site managers and our resident services coordinators. Uh, but we are trying to keep other folks who can work from home at home whenever possible.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. So, Susan, just for the benefit of uh, our listeners, could you maybe give us a few minutes of um, sort of an overview of Bellwether Housing, you know, who you guys are, how big, how long you've been around, what you do?
1: Bellwether is a nonprofit affordable housing owner, operator, developer. Uh, we were formed in 1980. This is our 40th anniversary. Uh, we were formed by some the leadership of the downtown Seattle Association so really out of the core business community here in Seattle um, who were in a time when Seattle was going through a rent crisis um, somewhat different than the one that we had been have been experiencing more recently um, but not wholly different Um, just a lack of Supply, a shortage of supply, and increasing demand and increasing prices that just didn't match people's ability to pay. People who were working in the service sector, in our retail sector, our hospitality sector, and uh, so the these this group of leaders came together and created the organization. We had a little bit of a slow start, but we've since uh, 1980 we have acquired or developed. Um, for ourselves, uh, over 2,100 units of housing. Okay. Um, we have done a lot of development for other mission-driven organizations as well, uh, and that exceeds 10,000 units over the course of our history. We are, our geographic location is very centered within King County, um, and until this year was exclusively in the city of Seattle, kind of up and down the the transit corridor um, from very south Seattle to very north Seattle. But this year, we broke ground, earlier this year, broke ground on our first development outside the city limits of Seattle, still on the transit corridor, but just to the suburbs south um, in a, a city called Tukwila.
0: Yeah. And that's that's an interesting point actually. One of the things that we've seen in this market and and in others is certainly in the last cycle um the region expanded, right? This this the city even though it has physical limits uh is impacted by, you know, the economy and what happens through, throughout the region. So um d- did you also notice that as one of the trends kind of coming into, you know, where where we are today?
1: Well, what I'll say about the, our, our drive to go outside of the city and particularly into South Seattle is really related to what we saw uh, happening with the displacement of lower income households out into the southern suburbs where rents were a little bit cheaper. And then as uh, the pressure continued to build um, even more Uh, displacement risk coming to some of those southern suburbs again so this um, consistent pressure on people who are living on um, very low incomes um, to just keep moving further and further away from their work um, putting more strain on their families putting more strain on our community and so we started looking in the southern suburbs because of this sort of suburbanization of poverty issue that we saw. a um, little bit different than what might be driving a market developer to yeah, to go out into the suburbs. Yeah. But we are we are about, you know, as uh as the crow flies about 750 feet from the Tuckwilla light rail station. Um, so really transit oriented. Um, And it's just, it's been really fun working with a new jurisdiction down there. It's been a really supportive community for
0: us. Yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit about um, affordable housing and sort of, you know, what was the face of affordable housing, you know, prior to, you know, January of this year? Um, How has that evolved in the last, you know, couple of decades?
1: Well, over, over the, since really the, the late seventies, there's been a constant decline in the level of federal investment in the production of housing. And without going into a whole lot of reasons for that, um, which there are many, the increasing pressure on state and local governments to come in and fill the gap for us. Um, So we were you know, we've been working really hard. at the state and local region, with our advocacy partners around trying to continue to increase funding at the state and local level. Um, and that has been, you know, really when we do our developments, about a third of our capital comes from something called the low income federal housing tax credit, which brings equity into our projects. About a third of it is paid for with uh, borrowing or debt. And then the other third comes from typically these public investments. And for the most part, over the last several decades, the last couple in particular, that has come from state and local government. And that's a little bit of foreshadowing to thinking like, okay, so what's going to happen now that the state and local government budgets have been hit really hard right? Um, and will continue to be hit hard as the economy continues to struggle, which we anticipate will be for some time um, so there's some sort of rethinking of okay where are these resources going to come from in the future how do we think about housing I think also we have we have forgotten the essential role of housing for other sort of indicators of community health right like public health for example it's very hard to quarantine yourself if you don't have a safe secure place to live. Uh, it's very hard to educate your child at home if you don't have adequate housing. Um, it, you know there's so many things that I think are being kind of uh, revealed to us through this particular crisis that maybe people weren't paying as much attention to housing and while the especially in high-cost cities like Seattle there has been more and more attention paid to the need for housing. Think this is just a yet another sort of layer stripped away from the veil of uh, being able to pretend this is a problem that doesn't affect everyone in the community. You know? Right.
0: So, how would you characterize um, some of your biggest concerns, you know, leading into the rest of 2020, 2021, and then maybe in the medium to long term?
1: Well, we are seeing. Right now it's early. Right. We're but we're projecting something like a 15 percent reduction in rental income uh, over the course of 2020. And I don't. You know, we'll see if that if if we can make a a reasonable shift in that for 2021. But right now, I I don't I think that probably will continue at some at some rate. 10 15 percent something like that we've uh, so that that is both a short-term and a long-term challenge for us you know in the really really short term you know we were in crisis mode of how do we keep our people safe and healthy you know yeah. clean and how do we connect them to the resources they're going to need to take care of themselves and their families pay their rent buy food uh, all those things and we're we're still working on that but even moving out of that crisis mode into okay we're managing a situation that is a new normal okay how do we fill these gaps um, that are going to be created by not just reduced revenue but also increased costs Um, we are uh, we have increased costs from having to hire temporary staff to fill in for staff who have been affected right we have increased costs of you know, deep cleaning that happens every time somebody is infected in one of our buildings. We've been paying our frontline staff um, a little bit of hazard pay to make sure they feel honored and supported and that that they're treated fairly, uh, notwithstanding the fact that they're out there taking the risk of of working on the front lines. We're going to forego a rent increase um, this year and potentially, you know, we'll see how that goes for next year, but I don't imagine that our our rents are gonna uh, be able to increase much um, next year either. Uh, so those are, so then figuring out how we fill the, fill the hole there. So we're yeah. anticipating something like four and a half uh, to $5 million hole, and we've gotta figure out how to fill that. We were lucky to uh, have secured a PPP loan, uh, the, the, the Federal Small Business Administration. We have uh, been able to do some. We have had some of our financial partners, our lenders, the big banks have uh, come out and said, hey, we want to support you. There's been some philanthropic giving from those bigger institutions. Um, We've been able to, actually, there's been some really interesting collaborations among our organization and some of our partners in the community to go to banks and say, hey, here's something we really need. Our seniors can't get out and access food. We also, by the way, have some commercial tenants who run food prep, uh, food businesses like catering companies or restaurants, and they're having a hard time surviving. Can you give us the money that we can use to pay our commercial tenants these these food service organizations these food service companies to prepare food for the people in our buildings who are too vulnerable to get out into the community yeah. to access food. And so there's been some the kind of cool partnerships like that evolve that that are helping fill the gap not for us necessarily but for our residents as well. Yeah. Um, and trying to figure out long we're doing a lot of advocacy at the local state and federal in particular level. We've actually kind of shifted our advocacy focus to that federal level because that's the place where there can be new resources and fighting for more rental assistance to support our uh, lower income tenants to pay their rent, um, assistance to help our organizations um, pay for these increased costs, um, as well as uh, the other kinds of impacts besides just rent you know helping our residents deal with the other impacts to them like the other other things they need to support their families food education things like that that they no, don't have access. Yeah, to.
0: yeah, no, that's that's um, that's a that's a lot. Um, on the operational side, um, how what is changing in the way that you you know manage the buildings? Um, how 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 have you approached that? I imagine that's probably something that um, is on the forefront of uh, a lot of people's minds as well.
1: Our so we are our site managers remain on site for about half of the day. We're doing more remote connecting with our residents, so a lot more phone calls and emailing with them than we might do because um, our site managers are off-site. We're learning some new technologies like virtual leasing. You know, doing virtual tours for new um, incoming uh, or potential residents. Um, so that's been kind of some new thing to learn that will last. That will probably stick around. Yeah. Um, after this is all over. We have increased uh, our maintenance staffing levels somewhat to deal with increased uh, cleaning protocols uh, and increased staff required to in the sort of as we're doing this to accommodate social distancing. Things just take uh, take more time; they take more people. Um, so we're so we have increased our maintenance level staff. Otherwise, we've been. Well, and then we're dealing with residents who are home all day so and home with their kids all day. So our resident services team has been busy trying to help parents find ways to keep their kids engaged uh, in a way that is safe. Um, keep them uh, engaged with their with the school system. So we're working closely with the neighborhood schools to make sure that that kids understand what resor- kids and their parents understand what resources are available to them In many ways our operations have been impacted
0: yeah, no, that is understandable, so I do want to uh, focus also on the positive aspects of of all of this, and usually it is uh, times like these when you know companies um, you know you know renew they do they discover new things that that they could offer maybe it's new services or new products um how has your organization um been preparing itself for something like this or perhaps how are you looking into you know the next cycle and what you can do better how you can be more efficient how you can provide i don't know additional services my sense is that you've been around for 40 years, so obviously you've seen your uh, shares of ups and downs, and this is um, another one of those uh, cycles that you will most likely overcome.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we're well positioned to get through it, for sure. Uh, We have, I'll say we entered 2020 with a strategic plan that called for significant growth. Um, So we spent, you know, the first few months of 2020 thinking about what that meant from both the new development side and acquisition side. And so we were you know looking at all kinds of, and, and that was a little bit of a shift for us to think hard about acquisitions. We hadn't done a lot of that in the most recent past. There might be some opportunity, you know I don't know what the market's going to do exactly, but we're certainly going to be keeping our eyes open for opportunities on, uh, on the acquisition side. Um, that's been something really hard to do in the Seattle metro market
0: yeah. over
1: the last few years with increasing prices. So maybe that will open up some, some opportunities there um, and allow us to keep our trajectory of growth. And I will just say organizationally, we are learning and will continue to learn so much about just being mature as an organization because of everything that's happening. My leadership team has just been incredible. They've uh, really risen to the occasion. We are communicating better than we've ever communicated. We're using new tools to collaborate. Uh, we understand, we're learning to understand one another's business, uh, part of the business, better than we ever have before, which I think will position us better than we might have been to, um, to embrace that growth that we, were, that we still hope we're headed for. I think in terms of what's kind of looking outward a little bit, that, you know, we have developed some new strategies around partnering. We have collaborated with some organizations in the city to, come to, to work together to raise larger sums of money than we might have been able to do by ourselves. I think that's an interesting model that we might continue to, to embrace as we go forward. Um, we are, because of the, because we have had to communicate with our residents and connect our residents to resources more than we ever have had to do before, we have had to work with other organizations to help us do that in a way dif- differently than we have in the past. So, for sure. example, we are working with, uh, we have engaged an organization called Muslim Housing Services to help us reach out to uh, some of our residents and connect them to rental assistance and unemployment insurance. Um, They have language skills that we don't have. They have some other uh, and and just people that we don't have. Um, So ways to bring in people temporarily to help with a crisis, I think that's something we have uh, a new skill we have learned. I just think we're learning to be a flexible nimble organization in a way that um you know without some stress on us you don't have to learn
0: right right i think all of us are that's that's for sure so as you um as you think of you know the future of affordable housing are are you thinking that there also might be some consolidation do you think the industry will, um, after a certain amount of time, be left with, you know, fewer organizations like yours, or maybe more? Uh, what's what's your sense?
1: Yeah, I, it's a good question. And one that, that certainly came around in the last, the recession. And I will say there was a little bit of consolidation that happened, but for a lot of reasons, not a lot. Um, I'm not I'm not speculating on that question. I just, I just don't, I don't know how that will, how that will happen. There are lots of reasons why there are different kinds of organizations doing this work, and I'm not counting on consolidation. Yeah, but it, it, it maybe, maybe going back to this notion of where resources are coming from, I do think that while we have our, we do a lot of. Organizations like mine um, do a lot of work to advocate for more resources. And our energies have been targeted more recently where we know we can have an impact, state and local government. We know those people, we know that they understand the housing crisis, and uh, we have learned how to, to talk with them about what our housing needs are in a way that I think we have sort of had given up a little bit on the federal government and because of the challenges that state and local government are going to face for the next for the foreseeable future we got to get our federal advocacy game back and strong and uh, there's been a lot of I've been in a lot of conversations over the past few weeks that are specifically targeted at that. And. So I think that's a little bit of a shift, and it'll have it'll. I don't know all the effects that will have if there is increased federal investment in housing. I have a feeling that our whole worlds will change in ways that I'm not anticipating just yet. I, I don't know. Well, let me let me say this. Even if there is not consolidation, I do think that when we are in. When we're facing a crisis like this, we do have to turn and look at one another and figure out what the strengths of different organizations are and learn how to take advantage of one another's strengths and per- perhaps partner in new ways. Um, and that might be across organizations that are, you know, other 501c3 nonprofit organizations, or it might even be across sectors. Maybe this will be the crisis that. Makes us figure out how to collaborate better with the market rate uh, developers and the, our community, and, and vice versa, them collaborating with us. Maybe this will be the the time when we learn how to uh, work with other other kinds of nonprofits in ways that we haven't done before. Uh, so I do think even if there's not consolidation, there will be more collaboration that results in new kinds of projects that wouldn't have happened before.
0: Yeah, that is uh, 100% to be expected. And then before we close, Susan, um, I know that your organization does a big fundraiser um, within the commercial real estate industry in the greater Puget Sound region. Um, you know, that's our audience as well. Is there, Mm -hmm. you know, is there a way that we can kind of help you spread the word? I I imagine the fundraiser for this year is probably not going to happen. Is that accurate?
1: Well, our fund, yes. Thank you so much for asking. Our fundraiser, yes, we do have a big luncheon in the fall. Um, We haven't made any formal announcements and, you know, sort of keeping options open there. But my guess is that it is not going to happen in any way close to what we thought it was going to happen. Um, and so we do we are anticipating a pretty big hit to our uh, philanthropic fundraising. So if there's anyone out there who wants to help us support our residents uh, staying safe and being able to maintain their housing through all of this, um, you can go to our website at bellweatherhousing.org and and contribute. So thank you for asking, Vlad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Susan, thank you very much again. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us.
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, stay safe.
1: Okay, okay. you too. Bye-bye.